Five minutes past the big hour at five o'clock on WSJ Radio. Ooh, it's getting cold out there. Let's go to Weather Central with Chief Meteorologist Phil Frostbite Hands. Uh, hi. What's it like out there this morning, Phil? Um, it's cold outside. How cold is it, Phil? It's cold. <laughs> How cold? This is isn't this supposed to be the coldest day of the year in Wisconsin? Coldest day in the history of humanity. No, it's like negative 22 degrees outside or something like that. Big deal. Put on a coat. You know, it's so cold, I wore a hat today into work. (laughs) My car started. Did yours start? Uh, It needed a little uh, coaxing. It needed a little love, but yeah, it started up. Yeah. I I just put a new battery in my car because my my battery died earlier this week, so. Oh, yeah, you were at Disneyland while it was cold. Disney World, Scott. Disney Uh, World. All right, same difference. No, it's not. One's in California and one's in Florida. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in I was in sunny, lukewarm Florida. Mm. Well, I just took a drink of hot coffee there to warm me up. Today on Center Stage, Phil, since it's so freezing cold. So cold. And we are braving the cold temperatures. I always hate that when we say that in the newspaper, that somebody would be walking down the street and shoppers on State Street brave the cold weather. I don't know. Is that really that brave? Yeah, I don't know. So I will say this. This is really important to understand is that schools were closed. The mail's not getting delivered. But we came into work today, and we're podcasting. And I did get my newspaper today. Yeah. Did you get yours? I got my newspaper. It was there at 6 a.m. See, the news never stops. And because it's so cold, we thought we'd talk about some of the coldest moments and the coldest politicians in Wisconsin history. On today's Center Stage, the Wisconsin State Journal's political podcast from the Sensible Center of Wisconsin Politics. I'm Scott Milfred, the editorial page editor for the Wisconsin State Journal. And I'm Phil Hands. I'm the editorial cartoonist for the Wisconsin State Journal. And we are half of the State Journal editorial board. The colder half. Are these cold-hearted people, or are these just cold actions? Uh, they're both, I think. Okay. Let me quiz this out-of-stater carpetbagger cartoonist from Detroit, Michigan. In what year was Wisconsin founded as a state? Oh, 18... Let me give you a clue. Let me give you a clue. It rhymes. Wisconsin became a state in 1848. Yeah, there you go. Well, guess what? I'm going back, even though we said Wisconsin history. Well, it's still Wisconsin history. Back when we were a territory in uh, 1842, under the Capitol Dome, there was a territorial legislature. Uh, Not the same dome. Uh, No, this was like three or four ago. Okay. There were two lawmakers. There was Charles Arndt of Green Bay. Charles Arndt. Sounds like a letter writer. (laughs) <laughs> aren't aren't a word because the teacher says it aren't. Uh, James Vineyard. I don't know if he uh, grew, if he made wine or what. So aren't accused fellow lawmaker James Vineyard that he had lied on behalf of a political appointee. Vineyard responded with, quote, violent and insulting language. Ooh, like the president? <laughs> yes. Now, aren't didn't care for this. So he went over to Vineyard's desk and, quote, requested him to retract, which he refused to do, repeating the offensive words. That also kind of sounds like uh, Trump. Yeah. Maybe there's a connection here. Anyway, Arndt uh, then raised his hand, and he hit Vineyard in the head. Okay. All right. That's not very nice, is it? 
No. Well, remember it's the not good, exactly cold, but it's not very nice. Remember the good old days when politicians were <laughs> yes. civil and talked to each other? All right. So, Vineyard, quote, stepped back a pace, drew a pistol, and shot him dead. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> now, I would argue that that is the first cold-hearted moment in Wisconsin political history. Probably. Did, did, the question is, did he have a concealed carry permit? I'm pulling this from a column we had in the newspaper back in 2011. And it does say that concealed carry was the status quo in territorial it's Wisconsin. Status quo, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Arndt uh, reeled back and fell to the floor. He died about five minutes later. Charles Dickens, when he was touring the United States, cited this incident as an example of, quote, the revolting evidences of the state of society on the American frontier. The good old days. But there is a happy ending to this story. Well, not for Arndt. No, not for Arndt, for Vineyard. Okay. There's a happy ending, and this just shows how, whether it's Trump or anybody else, it doesn't matter how cold-hearted you are, Wisconsin may forgive you. Okay. Because he was tried and acquitted. Despite having murdered Arndt, Vineyard was elected to represent the lead region at the 1846 Constitutional Convention, and he was re-elected to the legislature in 1849. He probably could have stood on Fifth Avenue and shot people and not <laughs> lost any votes. Yeah. Oh. Anyway, he finally left Wisconsin for the gold rush and uh, died a few years later. So Of dysentery. I thought maybe we'd try to look for some cold moments and cold policies a little more recently. That don't involve murder? Right. For example, just this month, U.S. Representative Glenn Grothman, Republican from Glen Beulah. Glen Beulah, the best name in all of Wisconsin. Glenn from Glen Beulah. He took a lot of flack. And I don't know if people called him cold-hearted specifically, but he was one of only seven out of 435 members of Congress who voted no to guaranteeing the furloughed federal workers during this Trump's government shutdown. He voted against guaranteeing the furloughed workers back pay. That seems par for the course for uh, for Grothman, though, right? Are you surprised that he was one of seven uh, congressmen that did this? No. Mike Goucher on Channel 12 in Milwaukee asked Grothman about his vote. If you're laid off, let's say you're not working, and through no fault of their own, right. they're not working, uh, but they still have a mortgage payment. They still have a student loan payment. They still have bills to pay. Is it fair to them to not be insured of back pay? It's never unfair when you lose your job. And quite frankly, never it's yeah. never fair. Yeah. But I think... If you would work out some sort of compromise, say, look, okay, you're not working for three months. Let's say it goes for three months. We'll give you 60% of your pay or 70% of your pay. But to give you 100% of your pay, if you don't work for three or four months, seems a little bit not right. You feel like you're, you're not being empathetic enough to the people who are in this position? I said I could compromise. We'd pay them 50% of their pay or something for not working. I suppose I could vote for that as part of a compromise. I want to but ask you. <laughs> there are a lot, of, a lot of other people out there who remember get laid off and none of them get anything. So That seems a little bit cold. It might not be negative 22 degrees cold, but, you know, it's around the freezing point. Now, to his credit, which we had an editorial in the paper Wednesday morning. He actually offered a viable solution to, to avoid future shutdowns, right? That's right. He's basically saying, let's take the Wisconsin system of... When the lawmakers can't agree on spending, we continue at current spending levels so the government shuts, doesn't shut down. So he's saying, let's do that in Washington because it's worked here in Madison. So while it's cold to vote against paying people, it's it actually, is. I mean, he actually at least is backing it up with a real solution to avoid the situation in the future. That's right. Yeah. Which and very few people are, are 
even considering. He also did vote to immediately pay the workers who were forced to go to work. Yeah, well, that would When the sense. government shut down, yeah. But he would be a guy over the years that liberals anyway would point to as being cold because he's he's nitpicky on social welfare programs. Sure, yeah. What do you got? You got one, did you say? It's pretty cold-hearted for, for Governor Walker, you know, as he was dealing with the Act 10 stuff back in 20, was it 2010? And he talks to, uh, was it Diane? 2011. 2011. And it's, is it Diane Hendricks, the, the, uh, the, yes. uh, the uh, billionaire Roofing person. supply tycoon and he, and in Janesville. And he talked about a strategy of d- divide and conquer. Any chance we'll ever get to be a completely red state and work on these unions oh, yeah. and become a right to work? Well, we'll in fact, the what big thing... What can we do to help you? Well, we're going to start in a couple of weeks with mm-hmm. our budget adjustment bill. The first step is uh, we're going to deal with uh, collective bargaining for all public employee unions because right. you divide and conquer. That's pretty cold right there to, di- to divide and conquer constituents to, to separate them out. That's right. And he kind of had a little grin on his face when he said it. And that was a quote, actually, that even this last year, Tony Evers, during his election, was bringing that up and saying, I'm not going to divide and conquer Wisconsin. I'm going to bring us together. So that, that really resonated for a long time. And nobody likes divide and conquer politics, yeah. right? I mean, even even conservatives don't like that idea of we're going to divide people up. And I mean, they they will attack liberals for what they would consider divide and conquer identity politics. Madison teachers did just get four point some percent raises. I remember in the depths or heights, depending on how you look at it, of that Act Ten battle, John Erpenbach came in to talk to us, and he had said that if Act Ten passed, it was the end of the middle class in Wisconsin. Yeah. Well, I think there's still a middle class in Wisconsin. Liberals hate Act 10. And a lot of the actual stuff that went through, you know, a lot of the actual budgetary stuff needed to happen. I mean, they needed to rebalance some of the some of the union powers and, and needed to rebalance um, some of the really nice benefits the public workers were getting. But the uh, the idea that we're going to get rid of all collective bargaining and sort of be jerks about the whole thing, too, which was, <laughs> which was what Scott Walker was, was pretty cold-hearted. For those keeping track, Scott Walker's a Republican, Glenn Grothman's a Republican, but Vineyard was a Democrat. Yeah, but Democrat. <laughs> but but weren't Democrats pretty evil back uh, then? Yes. Yeah, they were all. They loved slavery. They loved. Was he a pro-slave? Was, was he trying to bring slavery yeah, to Wisconsin too? Yeah, I don't know about that. Since we've got one Democrat and two Republicans, let's go back to a Democrat. I did want to bring up former state senator Gary George, who was sent to prison for essentially bilking a Milwaukee nonprofit that was dedicated to helping young boys get involved in athletics so that they would get some positive experiences in the inner city of Milwaukee. And he helped bilk a couple hundred thousand from that. He took money. For his own personal use, right? <laughs> yes. And he took uh, money from uh, a businessman who he steered a state contract to, and he was sent to prison. Well, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> But there is a happy ending on that. Uh, they did restore his law license a few years ago. Oh, good. Yeah, after he got out of prison. Oh, good. So we can go scam people again. <laughs> yeah, now Gary George was a Democrat. So now we're two to two. We're back even. Gary George ran for governor in 2002. This was before he was caught uh, stealing money, essentially from young kids in Milwaukee. When he ran for governor of Milwaukee, 
I toured the Green Bay prison with him. So I toured a prison with him that he before ended, he was sent to prison. Did, but, he, did he end up in that prison? No. Did he get to see his cell? No, he didn't. He wound up in a federal prison in Minnesota. Oh, a federal camp. Yeah, because yeah. he's a white-collar criminal. Yeah, so you get like three square meals a day, some gourmet food, tennis, Yeah, it's like Manafort. Canoeing. It wasn't as nice as Paul Manafort's deal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, you got another one? Who is probably Wisconsin's most notorious bad actor? Ooh, I know who you mean. Joe McCarthy. Joe McCarthy, yeah. Republican senator. Is it even fair to call him a Republican since he was just so beyond the pale of everything that party identification doesn't even matter at this point? He also was a drunk, if you read some of the And lied about, about his him. military service, too. When I think of a politician that's like the worst of America, it's Joe McCarthy. I mean, yeah. Somebody who destroys people's lives mm-hmm. for his own political gain. I mean, that is about as horrible and nefarious as you can be as a politician. So he had no sense of decency. Have you no sense of decency, sir? Have you? Now, there have been a lot of uh, cartoons. You're a cartoonist, right, Phil? I am a cartoonist. I have seen a lot of cartoons that were kind of cliche, so obviously you weren't drawing them. They were by other cartoonists. But they had the uh, uh, Trump as the woman who said, let them eat cake. Oh, yeah. And it was sort of about the furloughed federal workers, and it would have Trump or somebody else dressed up like... Marie Antoinette, which is a fun dress to draw, by the way. It does seem at times that Trump is very cold-hearted. A lot of the people on his staff have gotten in hot water in the last couple of weeks for not really expressing much empathy at all for, for workers yeah. who have who missed a couple of paychecks. Can't they just borrow a couple million dollars from their dads? <laughs> yeah. There was that moment where Trump flipped the role of paper towel uh, at the press conference on in Puerto, Puerto Rico. Rico. Yeah. The whole island was decimated, and he's like, hey, here you go. You can fight over this one roll of paper yeah, towel. Yeah, paper towel for you. Yeah. Now I'm out of here. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> I alone can fix this. Yeah. Now, sometimes I think, and and this is not a very good example, but uh, sometimes the left in Madison gets cold-hearted towards people with money. This probably isn't fair to Satya Rhodes-Conway, but the other day at the uh, mayoral debate, they were talking about flooding, and should we lower the lake levels? And she sort of said, well, I don't really care that much about people who have lakefront property. Look, I'm far more concerned about low-income communities than I am about lakefront property owners with respect to flooding. You don't have to be rich to live on the lake. I guess there are a couple trailer parks in the lake, aren't there? (laughs) In Monona? Uh, You could be property rich to live on the lake. It's not just the wealthy in Madison, but anybody who's not a a die-hard liberal is sort of the, the Madison can be cold too, you know. I mean, you know. Yeah, there's there's a lot of intolerance for conservative ideas in Madison. Want to talk about cold hearted? How about those? How about those people that hate the uh, proposed lights at the Edgewood Stadium? <laughs> yeah, they won't let the kids play. Football. Let the kids play their football game. Yeah, come on. I do like the sound. I live over right by La Follette High School and by Monona High School. And boy, I just kind of drift back to high school fall memories, or even in the spring with track meets. I love to hear the announcer and the sound of the amplification of first down, La Follette. Yeah, I mean, I I live so close to Camp Randall, I can open my windows during football season and hear the game being called by by the announcer. Yeah, and there's the roar of the crowd. And we can even hear, I was out grilling a couple times this uh, uh, this past fall. Didn't you grill last night, Scott? I did. I did. I made steaks last night. Yes. They were excellent. Yeah, it's never too cold 
to grill. But uh, if you hear the pep band, man, there's nothing better than hearing the pep band in the dif- distance. Oh, at yeah. A, at a high school sporting event. I love that. Uh, I even put my hand over my heart. I heard the Star Spangled Banner one day. I was out grilling in the backyard. Oh, nice. Yeah. Maybe that's why people around Edgewood don't want to hear it because they, they don't want to be assaulted by listening to that, inoff- that offensive uh, national anthem. Our newspaper editorial page has supported legal abortion for decades. Nonetheless, I'm sure if a social conservative was sitting here, they'd say, I'll tell you what's cold-hearted. Killing millions of babies across this country via legal abortion. And those are Democrats. So what do we say to that? Well, you know, (laughs) speaking of intolerance in Madison, I remember I was on State Street on some Saturday afternoon and a bunch of older Madison women, you know, probably in their, you know, 50s and 60s, did this, yeah. all wearing pink shirts, did this interpretive dance to, you know, in favor of abortion. It was like this, we're going to do this choreographed interpretive dance to, you know, celebrate our control over our bodies, which is one side of the abortion debate. But I, I remember telling them, like, do you realize that what you're doing could be interpreted as dancing on the graves of little dead babies, mm. my people? And it just didn't occur to them at all that somebody could have a different perspective from from what they do. It's kind of like normally what Democrats say, if you're Bill Clinton or uh, Barack Obama, is we want uh, abortions to be legal and rare. Safe, legal, and rare. You know, I think what we might say about why legal abortion is uh, appropriate is, first of all, it's someone's own body and family and life that's making this decision with their doctor. And I'm not crazy about the idea of the government telling people how to make their own medical decisions. And in a lot of cases, it, these are heart-wrenching decisions. Uh, it's not just, okay, I'm poor, I'm pregnant, I'm a teen, how will I ever do this? And liberals would say, how cold-hearted is the conservative that they don't care about this mother? Maybe you're raped yeah. by someone. And they would say, that is cold-hearted that you're going to force this person to have the rapist's baby. Or the mother's life is at risk, and you're going to tell the mother she can't have an abortion to save her life uh, when it's early in the pregnancy. I've got a cartoonist colleague who is a pro-life cartoonist. And the the two of us can come up with a solution and a compromise that allows most abortions to be safe, legal, and rare— And it would solve all the problems. But neither the extreme left or the extreme right is interested in compromising on this issue to actually – because it's such a great issue for politics. It's such a great great issue to fire up a base. You can raise a lot of money either way. You can raise a lot of money. You can raise a lot of hell. You know, it's a a great political issue for for politicians and for organizations. And so there's there's no real interest in saying, okay, something like – we're going to make sure that every girl who's 14 years old has access to birth control. And then we're going to limit, you know, how late you can have abortions. And we're going to make sure that everybody has access to it when they need it. But, you know, there's no there's no interest in compromising on it because it's such a good partisan issue. Now, when uh, Senator Leah, state senator, that is, Leah Vukmir was running against U.S. Senator Tammy Baldwin, she said that sex selection abortions should be illegal. And she claimed anyway that Tammy Baldwin was for that. Uh, And I think we forgot to ask Tammy Baldwin about it. But that would seem pretty petty if you're going to have an abortion because you don't want a girl or a boy. I think a lot of people could get behind a bill that said, you know what? That seems cold hearted to me. That seems cold hearted. Yeah. Speaking of being cold and snowstorms, 
and cold-hearted. What about our? What about Mayor Paul Soglin, uh once uh, <laughs> threatening to shoot cyclists for riding in the uh, in the snow? That's pretty cold-hearted, right? <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, he uh, does. Paul have a gun, though. I mean, is it an empty threat? He tried to ban handguns from the city of Madison. Back so what's in the he going to shoot cyclists with? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he's thinking. I don't know. Nerf gun. I maybe don't... A, maybe a crossbow. He's probably got a crossbow. Another one that comes up lately is the whole medical marijuana thing. I don't understand. It seems cold-hearted that if somebody has cancer and they want to smoke a joint, I don't understand why we have to. Keep them away from medical marijuana when... We can pump them full of opioids. Yeah, which are way more dangerous. It just doesn't make any sense. You know what it, you know what it is, Scott? It's the conservative knee-jerk reaction to anything related to the 60s. Yeah, that's probably true. You know, it's like people like, you know, Scott Fitzgerald, they hate hippies so much. Because those hippies had so much fun. Those hippies had so much fun, <laughs> and they didn't, let, they didn't share their marijuana with me when I was in high school. And they didn't, they didn't like the music I listened to. And I couldn't understand the Grateful Dead because they're silly. That's, this is Scott Fitzgerald, not me saying this. <laughs> Grateful Dead is the greatest band of all time ever in the history of the world. But Scott Fitzgerald, yeah, he just, yeah. It's, it's this animosity towards the 60s and hippies that's, that leads to you know, people still being opposed to medical marijuana. You know what was cold-hearted about this cold snap? Did you see the Whalers show at the Barrymore got canceled? Oh, yeah, that was terrible. It's going to upset the potheads and the reggae fans. <laughs> You want to know what's cold-hearted? The school district has been out now for how many days? Three days off school. Okay, it's like a... And a day last week. It's like a second winter break or a pre-spring break or something. So my kids are at home, and our Netflix account has expired, and I have not renewed it. That is... You are cold-hearted. I am ashamed of myself. You know that my kids watched (laughs) Netflix for about 14 hours yesterday? (laughs) See? That's what my kids will say. Yes, yeah, see, everybody gets to do that. Your kids are welcome to come to my house and watch Troll Hunters all day long.